0: Prior to Judah's fall in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar, the nation, if you study history prior to the final fall of the nation, was divided into two quadrants. There was a majority and a minority. The majority was indeed the majority. Was the, most of the people were followers of the politicians, the, the priests, and the prophets. And the reason why the majority of the people followed them is because those three classes of individuals told them exactly what they wanted to hear. Uh, As their culture was approaching uh, judgment, uh, you had the minority uh, was a man like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah stood up and told the people what they needed to hear. Uh, They didn't like what he had to say. So if you read his book, uh, you will see a man who had a great heart for his people, uh, very concerned about what was going on in his nation as they pursued evil and called it good. Um, tried to call them back uh, and told them what they needed to hear to move them back toward God. Um, but they, uh, they uh, attacked him verbally, physically, tried to silence him, etc. But that didn't keep him from his mission of speaking truth. Uh, and the, the nation was full of error. Uh, in fact, before nations fall, they are overrun with error, falsities. And so what is a Christian to do when you live in uh, cultures that degenerate? Uh, speak truth. Speak truth. That's what Jeremiah did. That's what John's going to do, as we're going to see in just a moment. Uh, But Jeremiah laid the groundwork for John uh, 676 years before uh, John the apostle hit the planet. Uh, And you can see what he did, Jeremiah did in his day and time, as he countered false teaching in his nation. Uh, Chapter 7 is a case in point. Uh, The false teachers, the uh, the false politicians, the false priests, the false prophets, uh, basically taught the people, we cannot be attacked because the temple of God is in Jerusalem. Oh, that's a good one. That'd be like saying, the United States couldn't, the East Coast could not be attacked because Burke Community Church is here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think our enemies could care less on what, where the church was. So that kind of thing. Notice how he takes them to task with their statement, because their statement didn't match reality. So, what does he say in verse one, or chapter seven, verse three? He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Uh, this is the Lord of angelic armies in the Hebrew text. He's the God of Israel. He, God tells them, Let me tell you what I want. Amend your ways and your deeds, and notice the cause-effect nature of this. If you do this, if you repent, I will let you dwell in this place. Then here's God's counsel: Do not trust deceptive words from your prophets, priests, and politicians. Uh, what do they say? Well, they say, "quote This is their mantra. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord." Uh, unquote That's their mantra. What do they mean? Three times they said, "The temple of the Lord is here in Jerusalem." Uh, what's the logical conclusion? We can't be attacked. God's temple is here. So he would defend it. That's their argument. Uh, How does he respond to their false teaching? He says in verse 5, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor... If you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin. Notice the cause and effect. If you do these things, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, he says, I need to give you some counsel. You are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. So, what a brave man that was. Any more, the older I get, the more I feel like him. Um, Speaking truth where there's a world awash in falsity, uh, this is what you're called to do as a saint. Be light, be salt uh, to that which is around you. That was Jeremiah. He spoke truth. Because a lot of people ask me, what, what should we do? Speak truth. Speak truth. Uh, did the Israelites uh, listen to Jeremiah? No. No, they did not, and after three deportations, the first one was in 606, the second one was in 598 BC, the third deportation was in 586 BC, they lost their nation, because they believed in falsities, and they wouldn't believe the truth, they took the word of God, threw it to the wind, wouldn't listen to the godly prophet, and it cost them. Years later, as I told you, 676 years later, John, in the spirit of Jeremiah, is in a similar culture uh, in Asia Minor where uh, falsity uh, permeates the the culture. Uh, And he has seven churches he's in charge of as the pastor. He's 90-something years old, uh, and the churches have been infiltrated by false teachers, uh, and those false teachers, we've said, as we studied this book, are called Gnostics, the people that were in the know. Uh, gnosis means knowledge in Greek. Um, these are the ones that are spiritually in the know of who God is and how to know God. But they were false teachers. Uh, they really were erroneous when it came to who is Jesus. They totally misconstrued who Jesus was. And they infiltrated these churches and incrementally interjected their false Grecian doctrines into the church. People listened to them, followed them, and it split many churches destroyed churches. So enter John. John says, on my watch, this is not happening. I'm here to help defend the churches, to help bring life and strength back to the churches. And so he spends from chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 4, verse 19, telling these churches that have been uh, d- destroyed by false teachers uh, how to get back on track and do great things for God. And so we've his book is well, have you ever sat down with your grandparents and they're talking to you about the old times, whatever, and you kind of walked away wondering, what were they talking about? Uh, you know because you know when they talk about the old times, uh, it's like they kind of meander and it's this thought, that thought, and you're like, you were there when that happened, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so th- this is what makes his book hard to understand. He's, an, he's a ninety plus year old man sharing from his heart. Uh, and so he, he, he's hard to kind of follow like what he's doing. What I think he's doing in, in that section of scripture is telling us what, what does bold belief look like in trying times. That's what I think he's doing. And we've already looked at 11 things that he's told Christians to wrap your mind and heart around and to obey, to build strength back in your own walk, strengthen your church. We covered 11 things. We're going to add number 12 today uh, that we should be doing as a church. So what does he say about tough times? Like ancient Israel faced, uh, John faced it in his day with the churches, we face it in our day. What should we be doing? He says, well, bold belief constantly searches for truth, not error. You search for truth constantly. Uh, Now I'm going to give a little primer to the concept of truth because it's misunderstood in our culture. So in our culture, uh, no longer is there absolute truth, there's relative truth. And so there's no longer truth, a capital T, there's truths with a little T. And the way that it works, which I've talked about last week, is uh, because truth is supposedly relative. Um, if your little group believes these these concepts are true to you, even if they're diametrically opposed to science, medicine, logic, whatever, as long as your group believes it, it's ipso facto true to your group. If it's if it's it's contrary to my group, I can't judge your group because truth is relative and all things are equal. It's insanity. Uh, this is where we are as a culture. Uh, And when you believe in relative uh, view of truth, that nothing is absolutely true, this is a self-defeating position because it's an absolute statement. I know it's early. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? It's so important. When they say there's no such thing as absolute truth, they just proved your position. So it, it assumes what it denies. It denies absolute truth. But it, but it wants there to be absolute truth so we can make its statement. So in that kind of culture uh, where we have to tolerate anything and everything, even though it's diametrically opposed to reality, even though your baloney meter is going off when you're hearing stuff, you have one of these, right? It's from God. It goes off. And you're thinking to yourself, there is no way that's possible, logically, medically, etc." cetera. Uh, when you live in a culture like that, we're supposed to just smile and accept all those things that are truths. Uh, enter somebody like uh, John, who's going to tell you, when it comes to biblical truth, there aren't truths, there's only truth. This is what he's going to say. And he's going to do this because everything matters about who Jesus is, who he said he was. John 14, 6, which we all should know as a Christian, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Is Christianity narrow? Yeah. Who made it narrow? Do you know? Jesus did. So there's not many ways to get up to the mountain to heaven. There's only one way, as we're going to talk about. That's Jesus. Uh, And so that's a narrow concept of truth. Uh, but it is that truth truth which saves. So when it comes to Christology, that was what was attacked inside their church by false teachers. So as the devil sends uh, his minions into churches to subvert them with false doctrine, a lot of times it has to do with who's Jesus, as we're going to see. So he, as he talks to Christ, that's not all introductory stuff. We've got to get into the sermon. Remember, we got six verses to cover before three o'clock. Um, <laughs> So what is he going to tell us here? He's going to tell us three things in these verses. Number one, he's going to tell you in verse one that Christians, as they pursue truth, not error, they have rules. Christians have rules. We have rules, don't we? Where do the rules come from? The word of God. And I know there's some legalistic churches invent all kinds of stuff that have got nothing to do with what the scriptures say, but we do have theological rules. So rule number one, beloved, speaking to Christians, don't believe every spirit. But on the other side of the equation, what should you be doing? Testing the spirits. Why? Well, you got to see whether they're from God or not. See, so you can't just assume that every spirit in the world um, is, is a good spirit because we know there's evil spirits. So we got to analyze this. So does grammar matter? Yes. yes. Does it matter before noon? Yes. It matters. Why? Because the word of God is inspired. And there's a reasons why God chose certain words and certain constructions the way that he did. So um, uh, we want to talk about the construction of commands in Greek talked about this before. Maybe you don't remember when we talked about it before, but it's important you understand the command structure. He says, do not believe every spirit in the first clause. So this is a negative, no, coupled with a present tense verb. What does that mean? It means stop doing what you're doing. It forbids an action in progress. So we could translate it like this, beloved, stop believing everything you hear. Do you hear me? Stop doing that. Uh, Is it possible for a Christian to listen to the wrong people and get duped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Because uh, not only do you see it in life, you see it in in the scriptures. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 illustrates that the Galatian believers bought into what Judaizers said about, oh, do we believe in Jesus? Yes. Was he the Messiah? Oh, yeah. Was he the Mm God-man? Mm-hmm. And you got to trust him to get saved. But you also have to do the works of the Mosaic law to maintain salvation. Huh? Huh? So Paul's going to say in Galatians 1, if you believe that, that's, that's from the devil, and those people should be accursed. I mean, talk about, wow, did Paul, he was kind of in your grill, was he not? Grill, your face mask, etc. cetera. In case you, I didn't say girl, I said grill. So uh, it is possible. Uh, Revelation chapters 2 to 3, when Paul, John finally writes those letters uh, from Christ to the churches in Asia Minor, the same ones he's writing about in the book of First John, go read the message to Ephesus, Laodicea. Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis. He's going to castigate some of them for buying into false teaching that infiltrated their church. What are we supposed to do? Don't believe it. Stop, stop believing everything that you hear. So he, he says here, uh, stop believing every spirit. So we need to uh, analyze a couple of things. Number one, you might want to write this down. It's important. Your faith as a Christian must be three things. And here they are. And they all start with the letter D. Your faith must be discriminating. Your faith must be discerning and your faith must be distinguishing. Do I need to say it again? Your faith must be discriminating and discerning and distinguishing. Why? Because there's falsity in the world. That's why. You you must ask yourself, is that true or is that false? Uh, How do I know if it's true? I measure it against the word of God is one way. Or I can, I can evaluate it logical based on logical reasoning. But when it's a theological truth, what does what is, what is the theology say? Does it contradict the scriptures? Beloved, don't believe every spirit. So you have to stop and ask yourself, is the way that I'm living evidencing that I'm listening to the right people about the right things? Or is somebody speaking into my life that's contrary to sound doctrine, that's causing me to question my faith, even though I think they're a believer? Well, now I'm not sure. Who am I listening to? So he says, stop believing every spirit. I know we're in the first clause. we got six verses to go. We're getting there. So stop believing every spirit. So the word pneuma is the word for like pneumatic tools. So uh, one day I was trying to take off a part off my uh, Volvo XC90, had the hood up, engine all taken, you know, stuff taken apart so I could see the engine because it's all, you know, covered now. And I had a big wrench to pull this one bolt off. As tried as I might, full body, everything, never budge the thing because they put it on with some kind of pneumatic wrench. Every man needs one. <laughs> Please pop it right off. So Numa talks about that air power, uh, etc. So the Numa can uh, has several lexical, lexical definitions. When he says, "Do not believe every spirit," it can lexically denote a person because every person has a spirit. Yeah. So stop believing every spirit, or translated, every person that comes comes your way. That's one thing that it can mean. Uh, number two, the word Numa can also refer to a demonic spirit. It has a spirit, a pneuma, is also a spirit. Do you understand? So it's like, haven't you ever wondered, like, all the crazy stuff that you hear uh, on a given week, the things that you encounter when you go to a university, the things that you study. I mean, sometimes I analyze some of this stuff and think, it denies medicine, it denies science, it denies the scriptures. Where did this erroneous thing, and then why, is the, why are so many people believing it? Whatever the point is. Well, it has its origin in demonic thinking. Because what are demons all about? Deception, destruction. Uh, There's a book I read when I was in grad school. I was probably 22 years old when I read it. Uh, It's by Fred Dickinson. I don't know if it's still in print, uh, because a lot of my books are not in print anymore because I'm old. But um, it's called Angels, Elect, and Evil. I had it as a class at Dallas Seminary. It's a great book. What is the the devil all about and his minions? Well, he's not omnipresent, right? So what does he do? Since the devil is not omnipresent, demons never cease promoting his lies in every area of life. Science, they want to pervert it. Morality, they want to pervert it. Politics, they want to pervert it. You you pick it, they want to pervert it with lies because he's the father of lies. Demons, uh, along with the devil, promote rebellion against God, against truth, and against morality. Whenever, wherever they can, they want to trash it. Uh, demons, along with the devil, want to slander God and his saints. So if they can't handle your argumentation, what do they do? They'll use ad hominem attacks to attack you. They did. They, that's the way they take Jesus. When he did and said great things, they looked at him and said, he's, he's possessed, etc. Uh, demons, along with the devil, promote idolatry, false worship, Uh, Demons, along with the devil, reject the grace of God as found in Christ. They dupe people into following, like the Galatians in Galatians 1. Well, uh, you got to have works to get saved. Uh, Demons, um, along with the devil, promise false religions, uh, promote them uh, to confuse and mislead people. Uh, Demons, along with the devil, distract believers and unbelievers from spiritual truth. Because the last thing they want you to do is expose to somebody who understands biblical truth because you're going to change them to moving toward truth. I mean, I, I get uh, emails, phone calls, letters from lots of different people. Uh, some of them are students. Uh, when they go away to school, uh, which has happened to a lot of students, uh, and how hard that is when you have your first child go away. I know I cried the length of the state of California when my daughter went to school. Uh, my wife kept handing me hankies as I was, I'm like, where did her childhood go? You turn your child over to professors and teachers and, and hope that they, they speak truth into them. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, and, and so when that happens, what, what's happening? Well, those students uh, will tend to call back to their church, call small group leaders, uh, call pastors. I get, I get calls. Uh, I got a call the other day from a, a student uh, in, a, in, a, in a medical program uh, wanting help. He said, what I'm hearing from professors and, and, and colleagues is kind of rocking my world. And I'm like, well, then he said, can I talk to you? Sure. <laughs> Give me the questions and let's, let's, let's look for truth. That type of thing because they're wanting to, to throw them off and get them into error to shipwreck their faith but john says no you as a christian uh should be of the mindset that you don't constantly believe everything that you're told what should you do because that that's the that's the negative side of the equation the, don't believe every spirit but on the other side you're supposed to test the spirits you're supposed to test them the spirits either the spirit as the person or test the demonic being behind them with what is truth what is truth to see whether they are from God. What's the implication? Because not everybody's from God. Uh, now this, where he says uh, test the spirits is a present tense command. You can classify it as an iterative use of the present tense, meaning it should perpetually happen in your life. So whether you're a college student, single mom, uh, whoever you are, as a Christian, you should be constantly testing what you're hearing, what your kids are hearing, etc. Is it, Is it biblically true or false to guide your family toward truth? He says you should test the spirits. Uh, The word to test, dokimazo in Greek, uh, means to prove something to be true by carefully testing it. Um, You do this all the time when you want to see something, whether it's it's true or not true. Um, I turned 65 in December. How did that happen? You know, I keep getting all this Medicare stuff. I'm like, what in the world? I am not turning 65, you know, and, uh, and so I've applied for Medicare and all that kind of stuff, and uh, so I got a card yesterday, um, among the different cards that I got, I got a card, and, uh, and I just applied this week for Medicare through the Social Security uh, office, and then I got this card this week saying, you know, we'd like to help you finishing your application for Medicare, and blah, blah, blah. It sounded really formal. I'm thinking it's from the Social Security Department, and then I, I looked up at the top, and in really light lettering, not dark, it said, this is not from the Social Security Department. <laughs> this is from an insurance company trying to get your business. I'm like, serious? This is a sermon illustration waiting to happen. I, I, had, to, I had to test the card. Is it from Social Security? No, it's from the devil, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but anyway, um, so you got to test stuff. Uh, when my father was a federal agent, at one point, um, he was in charge of five states on the West Coast. So all those states out there, anything seized by the IRS, Secret Service, or U.S. Customs, my dad would fly around, and take possession. So like he would go in with SWAT, SWAT teams, seize things. So like he, he seized uh, Ted Kaczynski's, the Unabomber's house. And, and he showed it to me when he put it in a vault that he had in Sacramento. So I saw cool stuff with my dad. But <laughs> one day he called me up and said, hey, you want to drive to Reno? And uh, And I check out some some contraband that the customs has uh, 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 has seized there. And I'm like, sure. Uh, He said, I got to go take possession of it and put it in this vault that I have. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go with you. So I went to the Reno airport and, uh, you know, went through security to get to where the U.S. Customs officers were. And uh, I'd done this a lot growing up with my father. And so we got there. And so they had these huge uh, trash bags, black bags, full of Dooney and Burke purses. How many men know what a Dooney and Burke purse is? Yeah, like a few. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what a Duny and Burke purse was. I mean, you, maybe you could buy it at Target. I don't know. Uh, probably not. So I went in there, and it's like, man, these are awesome. They them, all the agents are setting all these, hundreds of purses, setting them out on the tables, and, like, and uh, they're beautiful. And I'm like, my wife would love one of these purses. You know, like, well, these are all confiscated items. So I'm like, so I asked the one agent, I said, uh, tell me, uh, how do you know that they're counterfeit? They look like the real thing to me. And he said, well, Come here with me for just a minute. So we walked down the hallway, walked into a room, and in this room were these wooden plaques with pieces of the purses up there, and it was all the components of a fake purse were up on these plaques. So you could sit there with a fake bag and look at what you should be looking for as an agent, and you could tell what was phony about these bags. Now, to me, the entree eye, I, I, would have paid 500 bucks for the bag. But it, so I went over, and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a phony Dooney and Berka label on there. Uh, Because you could take your little finger and push on it and it would pop off. Because somebody put it on with a hot glue gun. Do you see what I mean? But you had to test it. You had to test it. What did John say? Don't believe everything that you hear and test the spirits to see whether they're from God or not. I mean, is the purse a real purse or a fake purse? All the agents there said phony purses. And so we had to get rid of them. So why should you be testing things? He's going to tell you at the last part of verse 1. Well, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's why you should test what you hear. Did you hear that? A few false prophets? No. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, now, this is where verbiage means a lot. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. This is a point where it does. When he says many false prophets have gone out into the world, have gone out, that, that verb, uh, is a perfect tense in the Greek text. Not past tense, not future tense. It's a perfect tense. You don't see it often, so when you see it, you should go, aha, that's interesting. What does a perfect tense mean? Thinking minds want to know, don't they? Nobody wants to know. Thank you for supporting me. (laughs) A perfect tense means a past act with an abiding result, abiding uninterrupted result. What's that mean theologically? If these false prophets have gone into the world at his day and time, where are they? They're still here. And the only way they're going away is when Jesus, the truth, shows up and gets rid of them. So if you think false teachers are going to go away in your lifetime, think again. You must constantly test the spirits because they've gone out into the world and they're teaching everything that's wrong about theology. So let me give you some practical points about testing uh, the spirits around you. Practical thoughts. Number one, don't readily believe everything you hear. Test it against the truth of the word of God, which suggests you read the Bible Number two, don't be gullible believing everyone at church loves Jesus and truth. It's not true. Because if you were the devil and want to infiltrate churches, well, you would send people to do that. I mean, you got 3,000 people here, and we teach the word of God here. Do you think this makes the devil happy? No. No. And so, you know, think about it. Not everybody here is going to be speaking truth. Number three, uh, don't think the size of a given crowd means the teacher or preacher in question is teaching truth. Did you hear me? Well, he must be preaching truth. There's, there's 30,000 people watching him online. It's not true. Does the tree that was what is taught match the word of God? If it doesn't, it's not truth. Uh, next, um, don't let a person's degrees after their name make you assume that they teach truth. Because I can name scholars who had great degrees, who threw truth to the wind and taught, and taught falsity. So don't just assume because well they went to that school and they got this kind of degree and oh my lord it must be, woo it's like the apostle Peter don't believe it. Does it match the word of God? Here's another one. Uh, don't pre- <laughs> don't laugh at this one. Don't don't prevent permit a speaker's looks <laughs> or or excellent vocabulary cause you to think they must be speaking truth. All right. Don't walk away from there going. Well, I don't know. What do you think about the pastor? Well, he's six four. Check. He's got a square jaw. Check. He's got a nice tan. Check. That suit, man, that's a good suit. Check. You know, articulate. There's words I don't even know what he was talking about. It must be true. Check. You see what I'm saying? Because people do this. Does you could be, well, a friend of mine. Uh, he's probably in his 80s now. One of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. His name is Barry Reed. Uh, no formal education. He's from Australia. When you listen to Barry preach, it's like you listen to the Apostle Paul. No formal education. Uh, His sermons are all over the map. In fact, Barry can't preach for an hour, he didn't get to preach. He's He's just all over the place. But he had polio when he was a little boy. He's got little tiny legs. He's got a big upper body. He's got jacked up teeth. He's got messed up looking hair that's thinned out. He's got crutches he leans on while he preaches. If you looked at him and rated him an effectiveness by how he looked, wrong method. He's a powerhouse for God. So don't don't get distracted by what the person looks like. Um, What about it? You've naively listened to the wrong person based on the wrong criteria. Uh, May you listen to the right people speaking into your life and test truth. Number two, uh, verse two, Christians have a regimen. What's the regimen? Our regimen is to apply a biblical test to see whether that person's worth listening to or not. So what's the test? So there's many tests that we could apply theologically, but John applies a test of Christology. Who is Jesus? Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God, colon, how do I know? Okay, first part of this test. Every spirit that confesses, and and to to confess means to say the same thing, like what the scriptures say. Uh, So every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He's the God-man is from God. Every spirit on the antithesis that does not confess Jesus is, Jesus came in the flesh is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist that denies that Jesus was the God-man, uh, of which you have heard that it is coming and is now already in the world. So what's the Antichrist spirit all about? Denying that Jesus is the God-man, Savior. So he says you should constantly apply the Christological test to any person that you hear. Because if they go awry in Christology, the study of Christ, that's gonna affect, well, <laughs> the doctrine of sin. Ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. I mean, angelology, the study of angels. Uh, you know, eschatology, the study of the end times. If they go awry on Jesus, it's going to permeate down to all other things. So he says, uh, how do you know if they believe in Jesus? Well, they believe he's the God-man in the flesh. Because the uh, Gnostics of the day and time didn't believe this. They, they believed that uh, Jesus was a man, but that the demiurge or the watered down version of God uh, finally came upon him at his baptism in the form of the dove when he descended. And then he conveniently left the semi-divine part of him left right before he's crucified. So he didn't have to go through that. What does the scriptures teach? No, Jesus was the God man. Uh, and he was God man in the flesh from the minute he was born until he died on the cross. And only he could do this to pay the penalty for our sin. Only him. Um, This is exactly what you read when you read the scriptures about who who Jesus is. Um, 1 John chapter 1, what did John say back in 1 John when we first started this book? He says, uh, well, what was from the beginning, what we as apostles have heard, what we, the we there, the plural is the apostles, what we have seen with our eyes, because they saw Jesus every day, what we have beheld and our hands have handled, because they, imagine being with Jesus every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, imagine, concerning the word of life, Uh, He goes on to say his life was manifested In life we have seen We bear witness and we proclaim to you The eternal life which was with the Father Because he's eternal, Jesus And was manifested to us Um, He goes on to add What we have seen and we've heard We proclaim to you also That you might also have fellowship with us You can't have fellowship with with the Holy Trinity Unless you come by means of Jesus Who's the God man Uh, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father as apostles And with his son Jesus Christ he says, uh, "I'm writing about Jesus, the God Man, not what the Gnostics have told you. The, the false teachers—they're—they're they're wrong about who Jesus is." Uh, in 1 John, uh, uh, he talks about that. In John chapter one, verse no, one, notice what he says. Way back when he wrote the Gospel of John, he says, "Who is Jesus?" He said, "Let me tell you. Let me write my book starting out who Jesus is." In the beginning was the word, and the word he's going to identify as Jesus later. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, logos, and the word was with God because He's eternal, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Well, how could Jesus be in the beginning with God? Because Jesus is outside of time and space, because he is God. In fact, Jesus is gonna say this in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. See, he's the great I am. And so John wrote about this, and uh, cults have got all messed up about this. Because uh, like uh, in my family, on my mom's side of the family, are Jehovah's Witnesses. So when they read that passage, they read that, uh, well, uh, and the word was God. They read it as He was a God. You know, I was out shopping with my wife one time, and we were in a store that had a circular outer, uh, inner pattern in the in the in the in the store uh, with all the, the watches and everything, and perfumes in the middle, and then all the clothes on the perimeter. Men's section was back over here. Women's was over here. I'm I'm not shopping women, so I'm I cruised on over here to the men. My wife's shopping over here, and after a while, I'd seen all I wanted to see in the men's section, so I was bored. And so there was a lady, a cashier was there, and she was bored too. So I just struck up a conversation with her and I started talking to her and found out she was, she was Greek. She's from Greece, F- spoke fluent Greek. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I took six years of Greek myself. She said, that's unbelievable. She goes, why would you study Greek? Uh, to learn what the New Testament has to say about Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. She said, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I go, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And so we had an excellent conversation, down to John 1, 1, when I explained to her grammatically why you cannot translate with God as a God there, grammatically, why it's impossible, that translation's erroneous, it's false, she looked at me and she said this, I do not care what the grammar rules are, I will only ever believe Jesus is a God, not Jehovah God. Yeah, about that time Liz showed up. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm shopping, you know. (laughs) But anyway, um, Christians have a regimen to test truth, don't we not? We do. It uh, it revolves around, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, what did Paul say about Jesus? For in him, Jesus, all, not some, of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It doesn't get tighter than that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Says He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, the Father's nature, deity. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins as the high priest and the sacrifice, he sat down, as no high priest ever did because their work was never done, at the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he, re, he paid the price for our sin and sat down after his resurrection as the victor, as our high priest. And it says he's the, ex- he's the radiance of the Father's glory, and he's the exact representation of his nature. What's the Father's nature? Divine. Who's Jesus? He's Jehovah. Uh, the Greek word uh, for exact representation is the word chiraktar in Greek, which is a word we use for character, like your character. And what character means in the Greek text is an exact replication in a coinage way. It referred to a, a, a die making coins. And when you would make coins, that coin represented the die that would, would impress it. And so he says, when it comes to the Trinity, you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit, and they are all God and they are one. Uh, who is Jesus to my Jehovah's Witness friend at the counter? He's Jehovah, because the scriptures verify this in text like this. So what is the test for truth? Well, what, is it, what does it say about Jesus? Because I can bank the fact that there are many people, when you talk to them, you start pushing them, but what do you think about Jesus? They want to talk about Eschatology, the end times, the mid-tribulation—this and that. No, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I had two Jehovah's Witnesses show up at my door one day. There was the young guy and the trainer. So the young guy starts asking me all the questions. Don't you think that our world is in terrible shape? Uh huh. Don't you think that something awesome needs to happen? Hmm. I believe that. <laughs> and he's asking me all the formative questions, and I said, uh, you know, I really don't want to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is who is Jesus. That's when the older guy stepped in. Uh, let me handle this. (laughs) We we had fun at my door talking about truth, who Jesus is. And he told me, he goes, basically, you and I are talking about the same puzzle. I'm like, dude, no, we're we're looking at completely different puzzles, and you're missing some pieces. (laughs) One of them is, who's Jesus? He's the God-man. Uh, Is this important for today? You better believe it is. Uh, Ligonier Ministries in 2021 had had their annual State of Theology Survey, which says 30% of evangelicals believe Christ was just a great teacher, not God. There's 3,000 people at our church. 3,000 people times 30% is 900 people, if that's that's true. I don't think it's true here, but it's a high probability that you have people here who just think, oh, Jesus was a great man, but I don't think he was God. Uh, They also said in that study, 42% of evangelicals believe God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, No, he doesn't. The scriptures teach the opposite of that. Remember John 14, 6, Jesus said, how narrow is the way into heaven? Well, I am the way. There's no other way. I am the truth. There's no other truth. And I am the life. And no man comes to the Father, but through Jesus matters greatly. And so it matters greatly what we, we think about who Jesus is. And as we analyze people, as they come into the church, always realize to be thinking of yourself, testing truth. Who's Jesus? Last point, verses 4 to 6, John gives us reassurance. He says, you, as a Christian, you are from God, little children, every and have overcome them, the false teachers. Uh, how, why'd you do this? Well, because greater is he that is, who is in you than he who is who in the world. They, the false teachers, are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We, he says, this is apostolic language, we, apostles, are from God. He who knows God listens to us, the apostles. He who is not from God does not listen to us, the apostles. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you listen to the apostolic witness of the men who walked with Jesus every day, laid their lives down... For the what they taught about Jesus, if you follow them, that's God, that's moving to truth. If you reject the apostolic witness of all of these men, you're walking away from truth to error. What does the Word of God say? But He says, if you're a Christian, you ha- you shouldn't be worried. Well, I, I I just sent my daughter to a university. Man, I, I, she was trained here at the church. I hope she's going to do well. I, I pray for her. Yes, she should. But if she knows Christ, she's got the Holy Spirit and greater is he that is in her than he's in the world. Do you hear me? Should not fear, because the Spirit of God is gonna guide the truth as he promised he would in John 16. Same with you. I don't care where you work, where you're employed, how progressive it is, how digressive it is. You should not fear, because greater is he that is in you than he's in in the world. Do you believe it? I believe it. Now, why do people listen to false teachers? Because he says, the world listens to them. I'll just give you a couple of things I've seen in my lifetime so far before we close. Why do they listen typically to false teachers? Number one, false teachers are not judgmental. It's, it's okay to make judgments. You know this, right? It's, it's, it's wrong to make a, a judgment that you're guilty of. Jesus said, judge not that ye not be judged. But if you keep on reading the context, he's talking about false judgment based on something you're doing, so they're not judgmental. False teachers, they don't take hard line on truth. Three, uh, they are squishy and shifty regarding what constitutes truth. Hey, if you want to believe that over here, that's totally fine. If you're emotionally attached to it, man, awesome. But we believe this over here. And we, let's just not argue. Let's just accept everything as true, even though it's diametrically opposed. Uh, they don't offend people. Uh, they make you feel good. You walk out of church, you're going, man, I feel awesome. Uh, do I offend you Sometimes. Life in myself. It, it comes from the scriptures. Uh, they always, they're always so positive and uplifting. They entertain you and they make you laugh. Well, laughter is good to a point, right? Like Harry, right? Laughter is good. But if they, you laugh and there's no spiritual substance, hello, uh, they tell you what you want to hear so you're not bothered and can go on with your life. That's how false teachers operate. What's a, tree, a true teacher like? The opposite of that. Uh, see, my, my job is not to make you feel happy, joyful, etc. when you leave here. If that happens, awesome. But I want God to speak to you because he had to speak to me during the week so that I can move away from sin and move more toward likeness. I want the same for you. I had a lady tell me one time when she went to a church in California that I knew the pastor there, and he was way off the rails. And I asked this lady, I said, why are you going to that church? And it was packed. And she said, oh, I don't know what it is about him Every time he begins to speak, I just start crying. It's so emotional. I go for the emotion of it. And I'm like, what about the content? Because it wasn't tied to content. It was just emotion, not a test for truth. That's our culture. What is our obligation to test for truth and to move toward that which is true away from that which is false? So I have a question for you. you sitting here today going, this is for me. And I need to walk away from that person who's been speaking into my life that's speaking falsity. I need to walk away from them. Today's the day to walk away. I challenge you, to walk away. And if you're not a Christian, well, I can tell you, you need to embrace Christ today because he is the truth that saves, and there is no one else. And he loved you enough to die for you. And he's waiting for you to come to him in faith today is to say, Lord, save me a sinner, and he will. In the meantime, may we be a church that pursues truth and continues to pursue it in a mighty way so that we can lead people to the gospel of Christ. I want to close with a word of prayer and then give you a brief announcement. Let's pray. God, thank you. Just for John's pen, he shared freely and openly and honestly about hard things, about important things. Might we continue to be saints who wrap our minds around the truth of the word of God, especially when it comes to who is Jesus, because so much hangs on that decision. Pray for the lost that we know and that are watch online and are here. May you redeem them by drawing them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.